Brooklyn sounds like. Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. How you doing? I give a shit. I give a shit about you. Are we? In, we're, we're like we're like descending into into this maelstrom of whatever, right? Hey, we're gonna. I'm gonna talk to you about that in a second. I want to get my on air read out of the way, okay, guys? Have you been donating to our fundraising? I hope you have because you know if I can't yell at you, what am I gonna do with my life? It's gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm. It's gonna be awful. We we need to we need to work together more than ever. So anyway, go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. We're having this great drive to five campaign and you can get a t-shirt. Uh, one of them I designed, but one of them is designed actually by the manager of the clash. And that's so cool. So give us a donation, get a little money, uh, give us a little money, very little, anything, anything. We're not like, you know, small donations like Bernie. It made Bernie look what happened to Bernie. But we're we need another five years on the radio. Help us out. That was a bunch of gobbledygook, but you get the point. So anyway, um yeah, the coronavirus is exciting, right? But not in a good way. Uh, I just wanted to let give you I want to give out a little this is how I'm handling it, okay? This is everybody's different, but here's I think this is a good rule of thumb. If you have any anxiety at all which you do because you you wouldn't be listening to this if you weren't. Uh, thing to do is to to keep in mind that an unknown outside force that's generating like fear out there in the world can illuminate and exaggerate all the anxiety that you have already naturally, right? And there's not a lot you can do about that. It's cognitive behavioral therapy, folks. What you have to do is figure out a way to just distract yourself, say it's normal to be anxious, um, fine, we're all in this together, and we're going to get through this. And that's what's going to happen because it, it's got a, uh, you know, it's got an expiration date on it. We don't know, could be four months, could be six months, but it's going to be okay. It's not forever. And uh, hang in there, okay? And don't try to think, don't overthink it. Just figure out a way that you can distract yourself. Okay. TV, not food or drugs or alcohol. Okay. Something positive. Go for a walk. That'll really help. Anyway, on my show today, I have, um, this really, really fascinating. I'm, uh, I, I'm not alone in being fascinated by her. This artist, Alexandra Rubinstein, she's a, I think young artist. She's 32. She's from, she grew up in Russia. What town? Where is it? Yeah, Kisterinburg. Uh, where, I don't know. Is uh, it, what kind of town is that? It's a, it's a city. It's by the Ural Mountains. Um, yeah. It's pretty big. Close to Siberia. Close to Maybe Siberia. So Denmark. is it free, freezing cold? It's pretty cold. Yeah. Okay. So Alexandra, you got that, right? <laughs> and then, her her family, they're Jewish. They tried to emigrate to America, and it took them 10 years. And when Alexandra was nine, she moved to Pitts, Pittsburgh? Tucson, Arizona. Tucson. Your First parents step, live Tucson. in Pittsburgh now. Yeah, we moved around a bit, settled outside of Pittsburgh. Then I went to college there, and uh, here we are, now mm-hmm. New York. Mm-hmm. She's a graduate of Carnegie Mellon 
So I want to tell you, let, let me see. Actually, I asked Alexandra, she wanted to explain her work, but she mm-hmm. said I should just read the statement. But I'm going to tell you the thing about it that's so fascinating is that she paints uh, pictures of, it all involves male genitalia, but it's done from a very funny and very in-your-face, I'm going to say aggressive uh, point of view from the female pleasure point of view where um, like there's one that I know is, okay, so she has this whole set of, um, let's say the pelvis area of the woman naked where guys are doing cunnilingus, but they're not guys. They're, uh, Tom Hanks and they're Obama and they're, uh, you know, uh, uh, John, oh John Ham, John Ham. And she has another set of, this is like the first time I like really, Alexander, this is like what really hit me in the face when I was like, oh my God, that's just too good, (laughs) was this piece I saw of yours at Untitled Gallery, Mm -hmm. Indiris, and Cesarine's Gallery, folks, where she had a, it was a naked man, like a, you know, a beefcake shot, as they would say, but beautifully painted. Remember, she went to Carnegie Mellon, okay, She's a degree from Carnegie Mellon in painting. So there was a, what do you call it? A beer? Is it beer? You describe it. I think you're talking about the Thirsty series. Yeah, Yeah. the Thirsty series. You describe um, it. That specific series, I'm pulling beefcakes from uh, vintage playgirls and using them to adorn bottle openers. And the series is called Thirsty, speaking to the... uh, the newfound aggressive female desire and yeah, the, um, yeah, the shift in, uh, dynamics and relationships that we're seeing right now, the women are a lot more assertive, more dominant and, uh, yeah. And also drink beer. (laughs) (laughs) What, what, what I think is really important about Alexandra's work folks, this is, this is my opinion and I, I don't think I'm alone in it, but it is my opinion. Um, what I think is so important about it is the way that she is portraying the voice she gives to women and the, the actual quality of the work together. It's I find it very rare um, that you find really such great, beautiful painting with such a strong in-your-face statement, especially from you know, about about men, aggressive towards men from a woman's point of view. And I'm going to read the statement really mm-hmm. quick, her statement, which she asked me to read. <laughs> I transform women from passive objects to active consumers and aim to take back power and control. Excellent, right? We, that's what we want. Mm-hmm. We women want our power and control back. Fuck you guys. The sexual currency, where it's in our favor And then it says, without taking centuries of oppression too seriously, I source images from magazine, film, and Google searches to mirror our culture and create a point of reference as well as stage my own. I then reformat familiar and taboo sub-elements through polished paintings to create a new narrative, taking the subject matter more accessible while evoking our biases and start so she makes men into sex objects but in a really funny way i think like yes and no because i think it's um 
I'm not as much interested in making men into sex objects as demonstrating that women are active and aggressive. And I'm yeah, that women like to have sex, like to have sex, but like to have power and control. And Mm -hmm. um, right. And uh, and I think, uh, you know, as a woman, a lot of my work, like we talked about earlier, does come from an angry place. And uh, I have so much anger towards women being so sexualized and assessed physically and minimized to their bodies that uh, I just I want to take the gaze completely off of them. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care if it's male gaze. I don't care if it's a female gaze. I'm just sick of looking at women. Mm-hmm. So, so and, and I want the female presence to be present in the piece without my body being in, in it. Mm. I, I think like I mm. want to disengage the idea of sex with women's bodies. Like I think that that minimizes us. And it, um, yeah, I just don't think that benefits women in any way. No, no. I mean, yeah, that's really well put. And I also think that what you're saying makes so much sense because I do think that men get a lot of feeling of power and control when they have their Playboy in their hand or whatever they have in their dick in their hand and whatever they're looking at. Yeah. And I'm going to adjust your mic a sec. Yeah. Um, Okay. Keep talking. I think like this is dramatic, but I like to always compare it to sort of rape. Like rape is not about sex. It's about power. Right. Right. So I think... Uh, when people see what they think is sex in my work, it's I don't think it's about sex. I think it's about power. And I'm right. much more interested in the power dynamics because I think uh, this uh, representation of women in art, it, it disempowers us. Always I, being mm-hmm. the subject, always being nude, beautiful. That's fantastic. We can celebrate women. But there's such an oversaturation of this celebration that I think it just... Um, it mutes our voices. Right, right, right. And then it's just so ironic how simply you turn that back on itself where where women are empowered because they have a man in front of them, a painting of a man in an idealized, in an idealized painting almost where the way they idealize women and we're conf- everyone's confronted with that and it feels like the women are in control there and the men it feels like it it must be humiliating the men in a certain way and not and not and i don't even mean like in a way that it's it's very i mean i don't i love the work and i love how it's confrontational right of course yeah and i think it's again it's just about looking at them it's there it's scrutinizing them in a positive or negative way and um, I mean, you know, there, I think when I was, uh, when I started, uh, a few years back, uh, looking at the history of figurative painting and nudes and art, uh, in American art that, um, women are so often depicted as passive, uh, and just as objects looked at, which I think is a, just like boring. Right. But also, <laughs> but also this idea of passivity, uh, being so linked with femininity is fascinating to me because uh, in today's climate, I think, I think men are the passive ones because they're the ones that have more power and and they're doing nothing with it. Right. 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 Because they're not, they're not doing shit. Like, um, so I, I I think that's an idea I really, like really hung on to is they're in action. 
inaction. They have power and, and they end the inaction as a combination. And, you know, that is really that if, is really good. Great and if point. we don't like see if we don't see them in work, if we don't visually see them, mm-hmm. it's it's like we're not um we're not even discussing their role in anything. They're just not there, even right. though they have the power. And um so Well, we've all internalized the male point of view. Yeah. For for a lot for looking at art, basically, yeah. right in film and a lot of culture, yeah, a lot of it is what and what sells is what is from the male point of, course. of view, of course. So, um, but I do love the irony of like t- something as simple as a male body painted in a way that you'd imagine a female body with the female body. You could put that in uh, anybody in a living room, in a dining room, you know, in any museum. But yeah. when you put it take the same thing and just put a man in place it's i use the word confrontational i mean that's hilarious really yeah no i think it's and uh with the the recent body of work using more male genitalia again i think we have such associations that it's vulgar it's um like the penis has so much power right it's Mm -hmm. uh what's the word like it it's it's invasive or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think by censoring and not representing it has more power. So I think I'm kind of, I want to put the spotlight on it and look at male vulnerabilities. And yeah, it's just another thing. It's just it another sh- body part. It should be liberating for men. You're actually kind I mean, from my right. Yeah. I mean, where we, you are doing men, men a favor. I'm hopefully everyone a favor, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the same with equality. This benefits everyone. Um. Yeah. So anyway, I want you guys to look it up, okay? Because we're describing it, and this should be like at least fun for you to look up. You know, there's a, there's a lot of really great paintings, and there's dicks in them. If you haven't seen a great painting of a dick, there's dicks. There's cunnilingus. You know, something for everyone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of cunnilingus. No tits. Definitely no tits. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I'm just going to tell you her website right now so you can go look it up. And then we're, I'm going to find out more about Alexandra for, for all of us to to dive into. But anyway, um, it's Alexandra Rubenstein, just the way it sounds, dot com. But the Rubenstein, it's R-U-B-I-N. OK, if you have any problems, <laughs> just go to my Facebook page and find it. So anyway, uh, one of the things about Alexandra's background that I wanted to find out how that influenced her work, and and we're not even really talking about her work as much as we were talking about her her thinking, her mentality, her her awareness of you know culture and sexuality and power and all that stuff. So you were born in what sounds like a small town. Is it a small town in no, Russia? It's, have- a, it's a decent sized city. It's a pretty big city, urban environment, um, lived in an apartment, you know, just city life. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. standard, uh, I guess, middle class. I don't know. I don't know if Russia had a middle class at that time. Everyone was kind of poor. Uh, but, you know, uh, pretty traditional family, two parents, two siblings, uh, both parents pretty well educated. Uh, like we said, my dad's Jewish. My mom was, um, she's not Jewish, she's Russian. She comes from like a pretty Russian family. Like, you know, her mm-hmm. her parents had a little farm, so a little bit more peasant, I guess. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, rural. Rural, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, moved here when I was nine. 
what was your life like so we can imagine like mm-hmm. what was your quality of life in Russia life like your middle class but what was the standard did you have a yeah. TV did you have like can can you un- help us understand what yeah, your standard of a, living was like so we uh there's five of us we lived in a two room apartment so <laughs> so in Russia like you don't have bedrooms so you have two room apartment we had the living room that also had the pull-out couch that my parents slept on and then we had the other room where uh, me and my two siblings mm-hmm. slept. Was there ever any, like, did you have enough food? Was there ever a yeah. problem with food? Yeah, I mean, like, we were dressed and, fe- like, fed, but, uh, you know, we would only have soda on birthdays, like, a banana was a treat, so it's just the Soviet Union of, like, just not having availability of everything. Mm-hmm. Flush toilet. Flush toilet, uh, hot water. Okay. Although not always. Um, uh huh. Electricity. It, it felt like we had we had these essentials. It wasn't. Yeah. I didn't feel like starved for things when I was growing up, mm-hmm. but I also think that's a. It's just mentality, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so everything. And did you have any questioning about like being female? I mean, you were only nine when you left, I was but did only you nine. ever think like the boys got? had it had it easy or anything like did you have any of those feelings you know like your brother you have an all you're the yeah. youngest of three your brother's the oldest i think you're I was, all close in age i was so. still pretty young but i think uh and now you know going to therapy a lot and talking back about it i do think like i was always aware sort of of my appearance like i think that was always like a thing i was aware of and that was discussed um mm-hmm. what was that who how was that was it from your family that you or your friends or the culture like where your appearance was very important yeah i mean i just felt that yeah it was important it was significant it mattered um so it is like my intelligence i guess but i think you know i was young so it was like once puberty started that's when i think i became more aware of uh my appearance being more important being sexualized being um like the more of my value coming from those two things mm-hmm. as opposed to anything else. really. Mm-hmm. But I also, you know, I'm both my parents are educated. So education was always very important. So right. I always had to have that too. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think so, but you weren't, I mean, ever, that was just the culture. It was, I mean, it's hard because then we move when I'm nine and then I feel like I become you know, I'm starting to go through puberty. Uh, mm-hmm. My my family is going through a very difficult time. Uh, we're in a new country. Yeah. No one speaks the language. My parents don't have jobs. They're trying to move as quickly as possible to establish some sort of security sure. for us. Uh, and yeah, so I think like uh, it was a trying time and maybe not the best sides of everyone came out and I think I was just very, very aware of the way women were discussed, specifically by the men in my family. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. about their looks. Yeah, they were always, they were always just, like I think. And again, like I, I don't want to generalize. You know, we're just, but, but I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think no, I mean, you know, Russian culture is very specific about the way it sexualizes women. Uh, it really. Uh, what's the word like um it, it's just all about youth beauty and very submissiveness mm, or, like i think like they're very sexualized but also like this concept of purity was always mm-hmm. a thing too where you're you're sexualized but you're also supposed to be a virgin 
You know, like that was like drilled in me, like your value is going to go down if you're not a virgin. So my value is, yeah. And I mean, you know, I don't know how much of that was Russian culture versus my personal like environment, right? It's so confusing. Uh, Yeah. And then you're, you know, I'm in America. So then I'm also getting different messages here of appearance is also important, but then, uh, I don't have to be a virgin. Yeah, the (laughs) sexual, Uh, sexual. There's, it's very different. So, you're, you're very. She's gorgeous. (laughs) No, I mean you are a very attractive. You are a very attractive young lady. There's no question about it. Although I know that's, you know, that's not what we're focused on at all. But does that? Did did you get a lot of attention? Do you feel like how did how do you feel personally about being you are an attractive woman? Yeah. Right? You could agree with that. Yeah. So in how how do you feel about that in the context of what we're talking about being, you know, being se- sexualized? So again, I think um in a way, you know, I I mean there's a couple of things. Like I because I was Always, I was always told I was the pretty one, which is a fucking. Oh, thing, that's right? hilarious! I mean, that's like it's not, not hilarious, it's really but not hilarious oh man, when you have a sister. Oh, you- <laughs> oh man, that's so. Oh God, oh God, I'm so glad I didn't have a sister. That's all I can say. I mean, you know, talking your about- sister must have hated that. I mean, I think it, it took us a while to get close. I think you know, <sighs> I was always told I was the pretty one. She was told she was the smart one. <gasps> By my father. So by your father. By my, by my father. And then, of course, my brother picks up this behavior and then it creates this antagonism, but also uh, damage. And yeah, I mean, that compounded with the fact that I'm also not an internalizer. Like, I think a lot of, like, talking about therapy, like, I, a lot of women tend to be internalizers when they're victims of, of any sort of gendered, right. um, yeah, bias or whatever. Bias, language, abuse, whatever, yeah. uh, that they think that they're doing something wrong. They find faults with themselves. They blame themselves. Uh, I'm more of an externalizer, and I think that's why my response was anger and rage. Oh, wow. So you really upset the norms. You 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 expressed your anger directly? Uh, yeah. Oh, bad. I mean, I that's think, very bad. <laughs> I think I was, my Sorry, response was always that I was just angry. Um, well, like when they would say like your dad, like, you know, something would happen and you were the pretty one. Did you feel angry at that? Well, no, because because I'm also at this time, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm being told my value comes from my looks and sexuality. Yeah. So if I'm the pretty one, I have more value. Cool. But I'm also like uh, that created a whole other range of doubts and insecurities about my intelligence. Right. Which did not need to be there. Uh, right. <laughs> so you know, that wasn't. But. So Wait, that, that was my damage mostly uh-huh. from that being the pretty one was that I always doubted my intelligence, which right. was right, which is so wrong, which is but, stupid, yeah. you know, because then I go to Carnegie Mellon and realize, oh, my God, I'm actually pretty smart. What the fuck? You know? Yeah, right. Uh, but then um, the rage was more coming from seeing the differences also in the way my brother and I were treated, ah. you know, whereas like, give me an example. Where I'm being told to be a virgin and he's bringing home girls since oh. he's like 15, right? Really? So he was 15 years old and he would bring girls home to his like bed? Yeah. To your shared and bedroom? No, no, no. Well, this is in America now. We have separate oh, bedrooms. All right. Okay. We, we made it now. No, God, God no. This is starting to get 
better than I thought. But then <laughs> no, you see, kidding, like, kidding. <laughs> but this behavior is like encouraged in him, and he's like, it's encouraged for him to be a sexual being, right? Whereas for me, don't do that; your value goes down. So. Okay, so, so you're you're a teenager, an average, you know, or whatever. You're in a regular school in yeah. in uh, Arizona, in Phoenix. Uh, by this time, we're in Pennsylvania. Okay, so you're in, you're in, moving around quite a bit, but yes, uh, uh, you're in school with other kids, I'm other American. You're the, yeah. you're you're with all the American kids. Yeah, and you're you know an attract a very pretty girl with probably, and everybody is just being normal, like they want to look. Teenage girls want to look sexy. Right. I mean, you know, before we get to the sexy point, you know, there's also like a dark period of me just shutting down because I'm in a new country and don't speak English. Oh, yeah. And uh, well, I what feel... happened there? Yeah, please tell us. Well, I think, bef- yeah, my response, my migration was very hard. Uh, I sunk into a deep depression. Really? I developed a very uh pronounced OCD where I'm just, you know, rubbing all handles, which is coming in very handy right now where I'm like just used <laughs> to cleaning everything. Uh, but it was my way of retaining some control because I didn't have any control over my surroundings. I'm in uh-huh. a new environment. I don't know how to connect to people because I don't know English. I feel very lonely, you know. And at that point, you know, I'm like 12. So I don't, my appearance isn't like playing any sort of a positive or negative role. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't know. It's um, so how did so so? But eventually, it? I think I find power in it. Where I'm like, this is the one thing I'm being told I am. So I'm gonna oh, being pretty. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm gonna try to get power from this superficial thing. Ah, and then eventually, yes, I started getting attention from boys in high school. But then you know, I moved in the middle of high school to a new high school, and I think that's when I started receiving attention. And then it was also kind of very negative because. uh I was the new Russian girl. So then I'm this other and I'm fetishized for being Russian, which this is how, <laughs> this is how white Pennsylvania no, 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 is. No, I, no, no, I, I, I totally get it. I totally, that would happen in the suburbs of Philadelphia too. I, I mean, they're it. shocked. Yeah. They're like, really? And I'm, I'm the most white looking person, right? Yeah, they're of so, course. So yeah. generic and, but wow. other to them. Right. And uh, so then, I have another like angry response to that. So I think every time I'm kind of put in these situations where I'm over-sexualized or my appearance or my sexuality come under this scrutiny and these expectations, I think my response has always been like anger and some sort of rebellion in a sense of trying to take power back any, any way I could in these situations where it's, whether it's, you know, behaving in the similar ways that my brother does to prove to my parents that I can also do all these things, you know, and they're not good things. It's just heavy drinking or this masculine behavior or something traditionally masculine behavior. You know, we know women drink a lot too. Um, so did you wind up in like a, uh adolescent rebellion thing? Yeah. I mean, so I what think was that like? What happened at home? What I was, was that like? I was, I was just refused to be, told that I couldn't do things that my brother could do. So did you have like friends that you... So I would bring dudes over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's cool. No. It was better than I, my parents. I, mean, I guess I did actually. No, no, but I mean like, so, so did you, what was your, what, what kind of interactions, what was your relationship with the boys at school when you were in high school? What was that like? You know, I feel like it started out actually 
in a relatively positive way in my first high school because it was a big high school. It was diverse. I didn't stand out. So my actions were not under scrutiny, you know. So it was, um, so I experimented with guys and it was a more like light approach to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And also the thing that they never told you in Russian culture is that, uh, oral sex is sex also. So, you know, I'm being drilled constantly that I have to be a virgin. Uh, but no one's telling me that other sex is also sex. <laughs> like I'm just being told to uh, never, never have intercourse. Oh, so you, so you were, so then oral sex, let's say both ways back and forth right. was like fine. Yeah. Like that's weird. <laughs> that, that is what your parents had in mind. <laughs> I mean, it was a very, it was a very specific upbringing mentality in the way that, you know, and I'm also, my parents are not religious. They're both atheists. So it was never, that was never the foundation right, of right, them telling right, me not to have sex. Right. It was all really about your it value. It was about my value. value. Yeah. Wow. That's so fucked. Sorry. So I mean, fucked up. And, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't blame them either. That's where they're, you know, we're brought, whatever, but that's fucked up. And I guess in that way, my mom was playing into that as well, where, you know, and I think maybe a lot of parents, women of that generation just didn't know how to talk about sex. So it was always just like, don't do it. <laughs> right. That that was right. Never yeah, had no, that's talk. true too. Uh, never had any sort of a conversation about my body. It was, I, I was very exploratory. So I was always kind of figuring all these things out on my own because again, I was curious and I think I was so angry by it being under such scrutiny and being so important to my value that I wanted to have control over it. Right. Right. Um, um, wait, wait, there was something I was going to ask you, which is, um, wait, I lost my train of thought. Um, I wanted to ask you this question about, um, getting, uh, it's so, um, oh, the girls. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, like, so I, Get the idea what happened maybe a, a bit with we don't have enough time to get into all the machinations, <laughs> yeah. but um I have an idea of how you were perceived by the boys. Now what happened with the girls? Were they jealous? Did they guide you? Did they protect you? Did they talk about boys? Did you what happened with the girls? Uh I you mean have girlfriends from in yeah, high school? Yeah, I mean I think I I always like had a pretty easy time connecting to women. Good. So I feel like in all the schools I I would always eventually like even despite my language barrier, you know, eventually I would develop a close group of girlfriends. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the popular girls were not the nicest to me, but uh, it was, again, it was a small school. You know, mm-hmm. I was other for being Russian, very specific, but I got along with most of the women eventually. You know, they weren't the friendliest to start with, but eventually warmed up to me because I think... Cause you're nice and smart and interesting. I like women. <laughs> I don't. Like have, I don't have. I don't have any anger towards mm-hmm. women. All my anger is mm-hmm. towards men. You know. Again, I'm. I'm an externalizer. You know. I just. Right. I, I always felt the anger towards them, based on all the little experiences that were negative. Mm-hmm. You There's know? also a certain fearlessness that you have, right? In in, um, in uh, putting, like you say, externalizing. Like, did yeah. you have any fear? Did you have any repercussions? From expressing, mm. did your dad get mad at you? No, and like... No? I Did I have repercussions? I don't know. I mean, I think did my your- parents tried to punish me. You know, I would like... I remember when I was 16, you know, a couple of friends like literally just brought me home blacked out drunk. And like, of course, my parents were upset. But I think I just... 
I I don't know. Like I, they just dealt they just, with it. They just didn't have a lot of power over me. I think. Like I think I had that sort of sense of entitlement that my brother had as well. That is, I think it's externalizing, but it, yeah. That so I they just, just they just kind of like, well, we can't do anything about this. I just couldn't. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's, I'm sure part of it is also like they're in a new country. Like they also had less oh. power in all the ways. You know. Yeah, um, I mean, what they did is like cannot be underestimated the bravery of what they did to like yeah. move their whole family here and and like that yeah i mean i'm sure it was a huge huge blow to their confidence as well um well what what like when you first moved here was it really unst- unst- destabilizing to the was everybody like in shock kind of thing was there a lot of preparations or was it just like here there was you no preparations i think it was very like almost overnight you know they took out the money they could they just kind of like Figured it out. Then we flew out and came here. And, you know, we had, um, we got sponsored because my dad's Jewish. So then, uh, the Jewish community set us up for like three months. So mm-hmm. we, uh, I think, yeah, we were like on food stamps, all that stuff for mm-hmm. a little while. And then, yeah, just wow. start, started from the bottom, you know? Wow. <laughs> Do you think wage. that shape, that, ins- that, well, it's not a specific incident, but that um, experience shaped you shaped you as much as anything. Totally, not all of us in both good and bad ways. You know, I think that was, yeah, it's the most um, traumatic experience I've been through. Mm. I would say, and and there's been many. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt. Uh, so there's a certain amount of resilience that you have from that. I I wonder if it's resilience, or I often wonder if. Uh, it, it almost took me all this time to rebuild all that confidence that was lost in this huge shift. Wow. You know, that I think kind of broke all of us. Wow. Wow. Because I guess like, and again, I don't know if this is across the board for all immigrants, but, I, you know, we didn't have any family here. We didn't have any uh, network yeah. here. Scary. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just like huge blow to everyone's confidence. When you look back on that, do you think that your parents did the best they could to help you feel safe? Or do you think that they were just so like wound up in their own? I mean, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine this is not judgmental in any way, but I mean, do you think that they made you feel safe or do you think that they just were just so in their own heads that you were just sort of like fending for yourself more? I think they did the best. Of course they did. Um, But what, what did it feel like? Um, I think, well, I think it's more complicated than just this one experience. I think it's it's about both my parents as people. I think they're very uh, extreme ends. Extreme? Uh, really? Even by Russian standards? Well, I just think as people, like that you- in terms of personalities, I think, uh, you know, they met very young. And I think my dad's personality is very over very loud and um strong mm-hmm. and i think dominating would you say very dominating uh and and i think it was super heightened here but i also think that that's sort of their dynamic and under stress they so he lost a lot of his power as a man that he had before he left right i sure mean did. that's typical but i also think this is very superficial masculinity right um this power over your family that everyone listens to you that mm-hmm. that's not just given that has to come from respect. And I think 
did he take that? Did, did he assume that? Did he feel entitled to that kind of respect or? Yeah. And I think, and I think he didn't really know how to handle himself when he wasn't getting it. Oh, okay. So when, it's kind of like he expected it, but he didn't actually, you don't feel like he actually was doing the work to earn, no, earn it. Mm-hmm. No. And I mean, again, you know, it's, um, yeah. Hey, <laughs> it's a pretty brave. I mean, we're talking about, yeah, no, no, no. Hey, the guy, the guy's got his shit together more than most people I do. He got his fucking family moved from Russia to America. I mean, that's a big deal. I yeah. give that guy a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to find out like what, y- how your work um, plays out in the world. So, I mean, we, we talked in the beginning about, I mean, there's a deep, there's a lot of, there's a, very, very many layers of meaning and very important and valuable and um, thoughtful, you know, I mean, the most important thing about your work is the value and the message and the meaning of it. But we also know on a superficial level that, um, can I just say Mm -hmm. on the most superficial level, it's beefcake paintings. Okay, uh, but the most superficial level. Mm-hmm. So, if somebody like, let's say, a guy, and you you have a boyfriend now, right? Mm-hmm. But you have dated in the past. I mean, you know, I've dated. Yes. You've <laughs> you've had you 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 said you've been with your boyfriend less than a year or something yeah, like yeah. that, right? So you've had plenty of dates, I'm sure, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that work out? Like, do they? What if you meet somebody? Like they came to your opening, like I was at your opening. Mm-hmm. It was like packed with cute guys and you meet somebody that way. Like how, and they, they're not an art person. Like mm-hmm. what happens there? Like do, how do they respond to you? Mm. Again, I mean, I think it ranges from very shallow reading of readings of my work, right? Where it's, if they see any nudity immediately, that means I want to fuck. Mm-hmm. That's the simplification. Um, from even if they don't understand the word work, they often because I do paint like pretty realistically. I think it's pretty accessible to people that don't yes are not familiar with art. Uh, Absolutely, that you know they also just admire it or they have a respect oh, for, for the actual work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is yeah right. They can uh, see how great the painting is. To like you know, I've also gone on dates with men that actually get my work, which is rare, but. Really, really rewarding and nice. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think uh, I think it's hard because uh, again, I you know if if they don't meet me at an opening, then I try not to bring it up right away because I think my work is so personal and so shaped by my sure. own personal history, which is not positive and not something you want to talk on the first day, wow. right? Um, <laughs> complex. I'll say that. Complex. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's a. Uh, I mean, it's part of me, so I'm, they kind of have to. Deal I'm wondering with it. if men feel like intimidated by it, or challenge. Do you think they're intimidated by it? Like, do you think men in general are intimidated by it? I don't know if they're smart enough to be intimidated. By <laughs> That's <laughs> so interesting. The ones I've gone on dates with, right? Because I think it's like they everyone sees what they want to see. Like, I think oh. um, a lot of them don't pick up on the rage. And that's oh, okay. Um, so, so they just think that you love men's bodies. They, I love dicks, you know. Oh, and you love dicks. Cause, fucking love them, yeah. Yeah, dicks, dicks are, yeah. I mean, it's funny because when I look at your work, I mean, dicks are definitely like a major part of it. I but mean, it's also like, be, I look at them as like, 
wow, that's an idealized man. That's, you know, just a beautiful, hot, sexy man. Yeah. And I think to be fair, like I've only been like painting specifically dicks in the last year, you know, Mm -hmm. before that I was doing it's it's been a range of work. And, you know, with the Kongalinga series, I think I noticed that uh, which I'm already like mostly putting the attention on the men, not the women's bodies. Like we're people are still talking about the women's bodies. You know how many questions I got about like, why is she shaved? Why is she not shaved? Oh, like, who fucking my, cares? Fucking like she's just hair? like framing oh the face. God, really? Um, so, and I think with the cunnilingus again, it's like everyone just wants to think I'm celebrating these things. And it, right, that's, they that's, don't get it. That's I mean, that's them projecting that's their own things on right. it. That's what men want to think. I'm celebrating them, their bodies, them eating pussy. Don't care. Yeah, just, um, right, right. That makes that makes sense. I mean, that's that is part of the role of art is that people are do get out of it what they what they want. Totally, that we're all we're Since all when, able to yeah. to make our own minds up about a yeah. piece of art that we are looking yeah. at. Uh, how do women? How do women react? Women that I mean, I imagine like all your friends are your fans also, mm-hmm. but like, what about you know more superficially like women? That you don't really know that well, or I mean, I think women definitely tend to get it more uh, uh-huh. and to connect to it in a deeper way. Obviously, uh-huh. you know, it's have you ever had it? what I'm catering to? That's my perspective, uh, and again, it's and it's a heterosexual perspective, so it's very mm-hmm. specific as well. But I also, uh-huh. we, but we don't see it. You know, I think I think that's always interesting too, right? Because a lot of people think when they see my work before they know me, like they assume it's a man painting all this stuff. That's like a very common assumption. Oh, that it's a gay man. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That didn't cross my mind. Yeah. And I think, Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. That's so obvious though. It's always interesting. Like gay women's response to my work because it's almost like things they really don't want to see. Oh, right. Uh, You know, I have a friend who's like, never knew what a dick looked like before she like looked at my paintings and i'm like this is fascinating uh, <laughs> wow i mean they enjoyed the kind series but they're like paint women i'm like no because that's that's catering to the male gaze too much not interested uh well it's also really hard to make an original statement with a naked woman isn't exactly. it exactly i'm just yeah just really, not really, interested in it's it really um it's all been it's pretty much been explored yeah I, yeah i mean i just I just can't look at any more tits, I got to say. And uh, what about, um, like, so the art world, what mm-hmm. about, um, I know I know that you have, like, an enormous amount of respect mm-hmm. from everyone that I, I mean, when you were going to be on the show today, I got a lot of messages from people that they were really excited that you've been on, and you have quite a large following. You have, like, I don't know, you know, thousands, 10,000, 15, 20,000, I don't know how many, you have a lot of, you have a big following, true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. When I did some research on you, when, you know, I mean, you know, whatever, I was expecting, I know how well-respected your work is, and I've seen it in a lot of places and stuff like that. And I was thinking that you would have like more of an international showing or more of maybe some more shows and mm-hmm. like more, you know, blue chip galleries or something like that. And I was surprised not to find that you you haven't you haven't been embraced in that way 
or or cultivated in that way is that what is that is that like um have you tried or are you not interested in that or what's your thought about the whole where you fit into the big picture of art art world yeah i mean i think i i don't know if right now my work is fitting into the mainstream art world so much i think it gets it tends to get pigeonholed, which again, I'm I'm not that upset about. You know, I also think like I'm sure I could be more proactive as well, but I just have so much more fun producing the work, and but, I think you know, and I mean, of course, I make an effort to get into so, shows, so, connect to people, but I also think it's yeah, I think my work is a little uh, more. Uh, harder to show for people or they think it's harder to show have you had i mean i i I, I imagine you have a lot of studio visits do you do you have a good amount of studio visits what kind of um by the way i just wanted to point out that i get the feeling that you're making you feel really connected to your work i think like you're making the work you want to make yeah you're not struggling with like what am i going to make or Mm -hmm. i mean you're developing but it seems like which is a by the way folks a really hard place for all of us to get to right all of us creative people where you're making the work that like feels right and you i think you have that which is i think the ultimate success frankly if you ask me but anyway um so that's what counts but i i'm just wondering how like curators and Mm -hmm. like what kind of feedback or do are they direct with you do they say things or do you what what kind of feedback do you get from art? I mean, I people? think I think the feedback that I think is funny is I had this series from uh, a while back. I want to say like 2012, 2013. And it was, I don't know if you're familiar, was it Fruit Paintings? Uh, I'm not sure. Describe I, them anyway. I did this, this little series. There was uh, one part that was banana spooning, like pairs of like tomatoes, etc. It was just kind of like, it was still... Uh, uh, so it's like sexuality and, fr- and and food, sexuality <laughs> and humanity, but like using fruit, right? Metaphors. And I think you know it was very accessible and easy to see and show. And I think it's funny how many people keep asking me about that work still because it's just so much easier. Oh wow! For and again, like I don't, you know, that's I understand. Like I, I don't think this is. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I I understand that my work is hard to show in all contexts. I know it's not going to reach all people. I also think that art should be challenging to look at. Mm-hmm. Not all of it, you know. We all make what we want to make. I just this is what well, I want to be making right now, and I completely respect people not being able to show or sell it or having reservations about it. Uh, See, you know, it's really funny because talking to you right here yeah. and now, like even doing the research on you, which I just did today, I shouldn't admit that probably, but <laughs> um, the thing is, is that I am sort of like, it. I did not anticipate that you would have that much, you know, friction as being mm-hmm. accept. like I would have thought, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought that it would be like a lot. I don't find it hard to show. Like I'm surprised that people like it's so ironic because if those were women in the same situation, it would be, you know, people would be like, you know, I want that. That's a beautiful painting of a naked woman. But but if you make it so interesting how simple 
just putting a male body in instead of a female body makes it difficult. Like I wouldn't, I did not think that personally naive. I may be, but I did not think that. I mean, in a sense, I started painting literal digs because I was like, no one else is fucking doing it. Like there's a few artists actually that do use it in the work. Like Earl Schmidt, like I know she actually has beautiful drawings with dicks in them and they're, there are, you know, that she's mm-hmm. in PBOW, like she's doing mm-hmm. great, but so right. it's like, it's there, but it's like not in a, not in a really aggressive way. Right, right, Although right. Although pretty aggressive, but right. yeah, not a lot of people are doing it. And I think it's almost like maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't know where to put me. It, it doesn't matter. Maybe. It doesn't matter. It I doesn't could. matter. But I just think it's interesting um, comment on culture that like in this yeah. day and age that like what you're doing is difficult. For the art and, world you know, to digest. I also think like uh, humor is like a really important element to my work. Yeah. And and that could also be like working against me sometimes because I think it's like, I think the art world takes itself too seriously. Oh. And maybe like a funny dick painting is, they, oh, they, they don't, don't even get they're it. They're not comfortable with it being art. And I think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's actually my own, my one of my biggest problems with the art world is this lack of humor and work. Ah, ah, I you can know. see that. I could see that, yeah. Like, just if I'm talking about serious, important things, it doesn't have to be so dry. Well, the paintings are serious. I mean, the yeah. quality of the paintings are serious. Yeah. And I think that it's... It well, it has could, to be, you know, no, what I, I'm painting. I think that's what people... I think that the skill, the talent, the quality of the painting is there. And I think that's what... So people want to take the painting seriously, but yeah. then they subject matter, they just... It's, yeah. I think it's very new, yeah. which is good. It's good. People have to get used to it. Yeah. Um, painting. So you're obviously a talented artist. So when did you start? Were you always interested in painting and drawing? Was anybody in your family interested? In, how, did, how did that happen? I mean, I remember both of my parents are kind of good at drawing. They never like did it. But, you know, even like growing up and you're a little kid and they're helping you with flashcards. I think so. I think there was like some, some talent there, and then yeah, I guess I started when I was young. I started in Russia. I started my art classes, and then uh, when I when we we moved here, and I started going through my depression at twelve years old. I think my mom and my sister decided that maybe this would like help pull me out of it to have oh. some sort of a an outlet. Uh, it's almost too stereotypical. And then they put me in an art class and, you know, I feel like for a lot of them, I would just sleep through them because I was so depressed, but it was still, it was, yeah, it was something I was them. good at. And I think it yeah. gave me confidence and um, I just stuck to it because I was good at it. Yeah. That seems like something that would have like what you were describing was that you were being, you were given, you know, being taken seriously or given a lot of what power credit whatever mm-hmm. because of your appearance but that seems like that would have balanced that out quite a bit no yeah but i guess um but no my t- my sort of intelligence wasn't as valued as like yeah. say my sisters you know she was a uh, smart one <laughs> no one takes art seriously in 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 elementary school what does uh-huh. your sister do now she's a doctor oh okay so she was she was smart they weren't wrong <laughs> <laughs> she's um, also beautiful so what's it like for your boyfriend? Now, your boyfriend, <laughs> you guys have been dating like eight months, you said. Mm-hmm. Is he an artist? No. What does he do? 
He's in cybersecurity. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh, how did you guys meet? Bumble. Nice. <laughs> Not an ad. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I met on Bumble and uh, yeah. Yeah. So how, was he at your opening? I didn't. He was at my opening. And how, so how is that for him being with, for him being with, uh, does he have any other artists? He's, that's so random. He does, doesn't know anything about art or have any artist friends or. I'm not sure. You're his introduction to art? No, I mean, like, he's from New York. He lives here, I think. You yeah. know, he's... Sophisticated. Yeah, he's like... Sophisticated, he's, for he's God's familiar sake. with art. Uh, so what's his take on it, though? What? How do you think he I felt at your opening, or... I think he likes it, from what he tells me. Uh, he's seems he's very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he's supportive, which mm-hmm. is, I think, that's what's most important to me. Right, yeah. right, right, right. I don't. I. I mean, I've never dated an artist. I, I've dated creatives, but I think, yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I could date another visual artist. Like, I feel like I. This is my thing. Like, I have my ideas. You know, it's nice to have a sounding board, but I don't need it to go much beyond that. Right, right, right. You'd like to have that as your. Because I, I, I don't know. I always think about it. Like, I almost think like. It, it's hard to find like another artist that whose work you respect and like that much right but yeah. then it's also like and then at that point like do you get competitive like it's yeah. like i don't know yeah um, yeah yeah but i haven't had that experience um do do you think like his friends like i can't i'm just imagining you out with his friends and his <laughs> friends making fun of him or something like that does that does that ever come up or anything like that uh not that i know that a couple of them actually came to the opening so mm-hmm. and bought a piece so, wow. <laughs> so I, think, Good. I think they're into it too um well they probably so. also know you and know about you before they know your work and so they probably have some perspective too. Um, i mean yeah your i mean boyfriend says nice things about you i'm <laughs> hopefully. sure but yeah no, i mean i think we all have preconceived notions and judgment and that's okay sure know. sure so um, we only have five minutes, but I also wanted to um, talk about how your work affects your relationship with your family now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how does it affect your your family's in Pitt? Uh, they're outside of Pittsburgh, then the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fairly close to my mom. Uh, I don't really talk to my dad and I don't really talk to them about my work anymore. I feel like it was it's just it's a disappointing conversation for me. I don't think they understand art. You know, I think my dad used to offer me his opinions, which it's mm. it's almost this like male entitlement of like, why do you think I need, why do you think I am interested in your opinion? You're not an artist. You don't, mm-hmm. you're not in the art world. You're not educated on these topics. Um, it was condescending for sure. You're a misogynist. <laughs> like, I'm, why do you think I'm interested in your opinion? And it's this entitlement of thinking his opinion's important and that used to aggravate me. And, you know, and I think with my mom, it's just like this vibe of disappointment and it's just She's disappointed. Um, of course. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Russian parents funny. always disappointed. Nothing's good enough that, uh, so you know, and it's, it's just anything related to the art is always just such a, disappointing yeah, conversation uh-huh. to me that I'm, I'm just it's a landmine it's a landmine why don't you talk to your dad your parents are married and they live together right well i mean i think he's um he's a large part of why i'm in therapy so uh-huh. i think it's just a relationship i'm trying to uh work through and 
see what I want from it. You know, I think. So you were the one who um, ins- installed the distance. Yeah. And you let him know that you don't want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Did you tell him directly? Or did your mom tell him? I probably texted him <laughs> that, nice. that I need space. It's a breakup call. It's like yeah. a breakup text. Disgusting. So how is he handling that? Do you think it's helping? You know, I don't think he's happy about it. I think he's struggling. But again, I think I I just I don't care. This is like I you know I don't know. This is it's not it's not, it's not, for not on ab- me to solve this. Uh-huh. I think you know um, I'm not happy with the way a lot of things happened when I was younger, and I you know it's, we're reconciling. I'm reconciling it for myself first, and. I, I think I just I don't believe in relationships out of obligation. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. I'm not if and I think that's a really tough call to make with your family. But mm-hmm. I think you just have to. So is it that you want distance from him so that you can sort of like, you know, straighten out your own thinking and decide what you want to do? Or is it because you just find him just too difficult? No, I think I think I I need an apology. Uh, Does he understand that? Well, we're not there. Like, I haven't communicated this yet. I uh-huh. think it's like, but I think before I can move on from anything, I, you you know, you want someone to apologize for, for the things they did. A real apology of mm-hmm. acknowledging fault. And I think, you know, and I think right now in this climate of men fucking up left and right and their inability mm-hmm. to apologize mm-hmm. and see their wrong is mind blowing. And I think mm-hmm. there, and I think there, again, I'm going to externalize it. Like there needs to be a consequences. Mm-hmm. Like I will not have this relationship right. out of obligation. No one is going to guilt trip me into it, even though they're trying really hard. I just know like the consequences. When you talk about the things he did, do you mean that like the way he talked to you or the values that he put on you? Is that what you mean? Or did he, did he like, was he, did he hit you or right. like, I think, you know, it's not something I want to get into detail. I think it's definitely connected to language for sure. Um, it was harsh. Yeah, it was It was very detrimental. Yeah, and um, it's con- concrete things. It's not just an attitude of like, yeah, he had a bad yeah, attitude. And then it also just comes down to, um, you know, and I, I think a lot of this stuff came up after the election of, yeah. Um, I don't know if you respect women. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if this is a relationship I can worth having for me. Ah, uh, all right. Well, you know, thank you so much. This is so fascinating. I'm going to have to digest all this, but we got to get going because we've got Elon Danzinger coming up with Lost and Rewound. So stick around. We've got great programming this afternoon. We have, uh, you know, we ha- at four o'clock every day, we have a local uh, music show called Bushwick Bandstand, Brooklyn Bandstand, sorry. Um, I also want to let you know that we're, we're, we're supporting Sisters. Dr. Lisa gets shit.